Welcome to Voyage of the Geek for a brand new year, 2018, first show of the year. Joining me always, Dan Miller. Hello, hello. Regular Tom McGill. G'day. And fresh meat on the panel. <laughs> they say that he may have even invented the question mark. Be gentle with me. <laughs> Jeff Cotter, welcome on board. Hello. <laughs> Gentlemen, is the, is the year off to a good start? I'm, I'm opening that up to you because I do not want to be involved in that particular <laughs> conversation. But tell me, how's uh, 2018 been going for you so far? Uh, like juggling chainsaws. <laughs> so standard. Pretty much standard, Tom. Yeah, yeah, it's an average start. You're still getting there's, over there's Star Wars. There's always hope. You know me. Mm-hmm. I always hope that the year's young and it'll be get better. New hope. She'll be right. <laughs> and Jeff, anything exciting, my friend? Well, that's the problem. I've got already halfway through February, just about, and I haven't won a major lottery, nor have any of my cashed up uh, aunts died, so it's bloody awful. <laughs> <laughs> Things aren't looking good. No, no, it's downhill from here. Although there's a similarity. I think we all share the, uh, the same dilemma. <laughs> yes. So tonight we're going to have a look at um, a fantastic film. I'm going to go straight out. Well, don't prejudge it. I'm, I'm, I'm throwing that straight out of there. Mm-hmm. because I'm very picky with this type of genre that we're having a look at tonight, and I'm very picky with this particular director um, mm-hmm. as well. So tonight we're having a look at The Martian, Ridley Scott, Ridley Scott fantastic um, outer space, uh, or at least in our solar system film, uh, from 2015, believe it or not. Hmm. Yeah, a long mm. time ago now. Yeah. And um, we had a look at it in a very unique way. How did, uh, Tom, share with people how we watched this particular film. We watched it in your lounge, mm. in a fantastic home cinema-sized theatre, in 3D, with headphones. Yep. It was the hyper-real immersion version of the film. It was... Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm hooked. Mm. And uh, co- a good copious alcohol. Alcohol. I was, we don't remember the end. I don't know whether I can watch another film in that sh- in the cinema there, the same way. Um, it, we were sort of forced that way. We sort of moved. We've moved into new premises here, and we're quite close, maybe about a brick thick uh, away from the neighbours. Mm-hmm. And um, let's just say the speaker system that I used to ha- I have is probably not conducive to good friendly neighbourhood uh, uh, relationships. So I tried. Uh, I watched the. Uh, Another Ridley Scott film, the, or well, a Ridley Scott produced film, the new Blade Runner, with mm. the headphones on the other week, not a 3D, um, but I was, the music, the soundtrack, um, obviously, you know, mm. taking its roots from the original Blade Runner, um, I was so immersed in the experience, but I can tell you, when I watched this film with you guys the other day, the world disappeared. I didn't even know, I didn't even, I, I couldn't even 
sense you're in the room with me. I was so. Was it was it, was it that much more isolating than going to the movies where you're also oh, in a darkened room much more. and really by yourself? Yeah, much more. I would agree. Yeah. Well, see, my point, of course, was that we couldn't talk to each other. <laughs> which you, which you missed deliberate. That's me. <laughs> that particular. Are you guys trying been, to. Trying to tell me something? <laughs> it was met with, uh, that, that particular suggestion was met with ridicule on a, yes. on a grand level. But it is a little bit odd. You're all sitting there with wacky glasses on and big <laughs> earmuffs on your face and you're all in there quietly in a dark room for I yeah, think for somebody who's not actually participating, if somebody were working in yeah. the kitchen and then they was poked their head into the yeah. room, yeah. four grown-up guys are sitting there <laughs> for, for two hours, but I, I having a have good to time, s- apparently. <laughs> yeah, yeah, apparently. But absolutely, I mean, I saw Avatar when that came out, and and this was definitely um, uh, amazing. The mm. fidelity of the 3D and the small space made it uh, all that more uh, yeah. impactful. I thought. Yeah, I thought it was one of the best 3D movies that I'd seen. Absolutely. Um, a lot of them that I'd seen were either so-so or the bit gimmicky, mm. or they just kind of didn't work. They're mm, just yeah. like were a bit weird. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and so for me. The, the 3D stuff kind of just disappeared into the just normal viewing experience, mm. you know, and it didn't suddenly, as I was saying before, they didn't, like, come at you with a couple of, you yeah. know, tricks that they were trying to remind right. you. It's 3D, by the way. Absolutely. And it was shot 3D, so it wasn't a stereoscopic conversion, mm. which realistically is pretty much everything now. If, mm. if, if you're watching a 3D uh, Blu-ray um, of a film from the last couple of years, very few of them, uh, are actually shot stereoscopically with two cameras on set. Um, this was shot stereo mm. and heavy use of green screen. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, big, uh, big soundstage uh, green screen experiment. Sort of um, mm. the compositing exercise. Tom would have been quite a handful. Compositing in 3D is quite, quite, but l- done a lot th- these days over the last ten years. Mm. I mean, Nuke, Nuke has been written. That's the compositing tool mm. probably used in this one as well. Um, it's beautiful. It's it's lovely to do that work. I I have done it a few times, a few rare times that I've composited in three D, and it's a it's an achievement. I like it. Big data sets. We would have been definitely seeing some big big data sets. They may have even been compositing four K for for this film. Mm. Um, and yeah, I agree. It was stunning to look at. Mm. So uh, so let's let's give our. Um, uh, sort of one paragraph critique of uh, or, or grading, I guess, as a movie-going uh, audience member. This is where it gets boring. What was your uh, What was your impression of the film as just an audience member watching the film? And there's history to the film. Like we know a little bit of the cool stuff that went on to bring the story about. But just sitting down and watching the film, what what was that experience like for you guys? The reason I said this is going to get boring is because when I, you know, when the films come out, you watch reviews, and reviewers across the board thought this was an awesome film. And uh, watching one review after another, where everybody says, oh, it's an awesome film, just, it's great, you just go watch it. The first bit was good, it the middle bit was good, makes, and the end bit was good. You might as well not watch reviews, because <laughs> there's no context to them anymore. And uh, I think that's the same thing, that we, we all agree that it's a great film, so it's going to be, well, I'm going to start it off, I'm saying it's it's a great film. Yeah, go watch it. So, specifically, what was great about it for you? For me, um, I'll tell you that I, I love the look of it. I thought it was, um, I thought it was a um, cinematography um, achievement. Not easy to 
really score points in cinematography in off-world type productions because there's not a lot of reference there and you're sort of j- it's it's a little jarring to to what you're used to looking for points of reference in cinematography mm. but um the scope of it was captured really well the space um i just mm. thought as as a as a look um i really liked the film uh, the the motion graphics of it uh, the design, the set design. So visually, for me, I think that was my strongest uh, uh, attachment to it. Mm. The sorry, Dan. The um, people have different expectations of a film. People have different priorities of what they like. The, if, if if a film is generally seen as a good film by everyone, then it's a film that is works on every level. Mm-hmm. The cinematography is fantastic. The I love it, and mo- a lot of people love it because the science is right. Mm. They don't try to artificially introduce drama by by by, by throwing logic out of the window. Mm. And the characters are smart. Mm. The characters make the, the same decisions. That's what I always loved about Alien, mm-hmm. the first Alien film. Mm-hmm. The reason it's such a scary film is because they know they're in deep shit. Yeah. They do the right decisions. They do everything you would do, and they're still fucked. Mm. So, uh, and it, you, people are smart in this film. Nobody makes stupid decisions. Everybody tries working together. Everyone is a team. Um, one of the reviews I watched w- was talking about how in Interstellar on Aliens or whatever film there is, there's a crew of astronauts who normally they train together for years. They're a team. They they they, they work together. But in all those films, they there's one loose cannon who does the weird thing, or yeah, he says, crazy. "Oh, I'm gonna go over this." And astronauts are not like that. Yeah. And in this film, nobody dies. Yep. Mm. Everybody works together. No cowboys. Everybody yeah, yeah. tries to do the... Everybody works together for the one same goal. There's yeah. no conflict. And still, it is a film that you can watch again and again. Yeah. And it doesn't get boring. Absolutely. Mm. Dan? Um, I thought it was pretty much level all the way through. So there wasn't like a big sort of spike of either, mm-hmm. you know, crazy interest or boredom or cringe or anything like that it was just very static all the way through mm. um, and you know the, the criticism Tom makes is yes it was good it was good at the start it was good in the middle it was good at the end mm. um, so what was the element of it that stood out for you narrative or, or visual effects or characters what I think what? it had a very um, clear and um, continuous look mm-hmm the start looked like the end it all looked like it was one thing you know it all sort of blended together like you were saying you know the use of color the use of the um the technology the way it was designed the way that that looked um and i'd like to talk about the story just a little bit more and just see if we can tease in you know some things that might have been a little bit weird because we can't be too glowing i don't think yes but um yeah, I was just really, I, th- I suppose I was just really satisfied with it that it was a good, competent, well put together movie. Yeah. Jeff? Yeah, well, uh, Tom mentioned the, the science behind it all and being a sort of a technology kind of person, I've been involved in aviation my whole life, so follow the space program from when I was a wee nipper. Mm-hmm. I'm old enough to actually remember the first Sputnik actually going across the sky in 1957. Mm. So there's, there you can work that out. Sweet Lord. <laughs> Hollywood does not do Take science. Some big maths to work that out. 
So you've got um, you've got virgins somewhere hung up with drips of their blood. You're well, feeding have, their blood I, at some point. I know. I know Jeff's long, actually 103. I no longer remember what to do with them. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, Hollywood doesn't do science very well at all. No. And this no. is one of those rare movies. I'd say Apollo 13 was the other one that didn't, as Tom said, mm-hmm. uh, whip up artificial drama. They just let the story sell itself. The science is all pretty accurate yep. um, the book itself uh, was written by an engineer and all the engineering involved is accurate so be pretty difficult to make uh, a movie and still pack that into two and a half hours and be relatively true to the science with they, which they've done um, but what stood out for me um, having read uh, a lot of biographies of astronauts being interested in in that for a long time uh, there's the stereotypical view of the astronaut as the hard-bitten heroic um, almost robot and the Mark Watney character uh, you actually see him going on quite a long emotional journey uh, he's shit scared at, at several points he has a bit of a blub uh, mm. right near the end so that really helped sell it for me they didn't just portray uh, a robotic automat- automatic I think hero. Any, any film that has somebody like Castaway right that's yeah. the one that is a lot yeah. often compared to uh, that shows a person in isolation for a long time has to go that route of showing him doing the weird yeah personal talking, talking to, to himself yeah. things and 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 uh, talking about all kinds of sh- stuff like not liking disco music and mm. makes yeah. him a bit human um a quick story from i think it's one of the first moon landing landings with buzz aldrin when they're trying to land the thing you know that the computer game with the lander going down and landing yep. that's like actually taken from what buzz aldrin was bloody well trying to do <laughs> It's not like a robot lands mm. it in the perfect place. Yeah. It's like Buzz trying to fly the fucking thing for that's, the very first time. Uh, Neil, like Neil, Neil Armstrong. Well, Neil. Yeah. No, Neil. Neil sorry, sorry, sorry. Neil. Yeah. Neil Armstrong. Mm. Trying to fly the thing for the very first time to land on the moon. Yeah. He has to do it first time live. Well, right? He only yeah. had 30 seconds um, worth of fuel left, left when he landed. And yeah, he's trying to find... Yeah. The <clears> thing that impresses me about that, which is why I've always been interested in astronauts, because they're weird people. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're usually very well educated. They all have um, advanced degrees in aeronautics. I mean, they're not cowboys. Yeah, but they do uh, have massive coconuts. Uh, they do. Like most, of the, most of them are test pilots. And yeah, yeah, oh, they're yeah. ex-test pilots. The whole and stuff. test pilot yeah. thing. Mm. If you think a brain surgeon's got ego, yeah. an astronaut's twenty times bigger than yeah. that. John Glenn, on his uh, first flight into orbit, um, was the first flight on the fearsome Atlas. Uh, they'd only ever flown it three times. Mm. Two times it had blown up. Mm. Mm. Very, so it very reminds you of road running and co- uh, coyote, doesn't it? Like they, they literally strapped him to a bomb. That's right. And tried to make the bomb strong enough that it could only explode out the bottom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they stuck It'll him on the hurt top of it. People underneath. <laughs> but the stuck thing, him on the top of it. The thing that's difficult to understand is that during the launch, John Glenn, his heart rate never went above eighty. Yeah, right. Which is what we have yeah. sitting in a chair. Neil Armstrong, yeah. you mentioned. As the foot pads touched the moon, mm. his heart rate was 160. Mm. Well, and yet he was cool and yeah. did everything correctly. And, so. and I think he was also just two more side stories. He was looking out the window, and they had stuff painted like angles painted yeah. on the window, and yeah. that's what he's using to yeah, land. Yeah, yeah. Right. The um, the the place I'm getting to is the the co-pilot beside him. I read. He was like watching the fuel gauge. Yes. All right. And he's yeah. reporting to Neil, not Buzz, Neil Armstrong. We have <laughs> 20 litres of fuel left or whatever it is. 10 litres of fuel yeah. left. Yeah. Five litres. And this is really, we have 30 minutes, you know, 30 seconds to live. Mm. 20. And he said that, and this I always remembered, that 
he wanted to jump out of his space suit and strangle <laughs> like um, Neil Armstrong. He just wanted to grab him and yell at him. Yeah, yeah. it would have been, yeah. been Buzz. I love Buzz the, Aldrin. Like um, the, a lot of the moon landing conspiracy people um, approach him, and and he's and and say, oh, you know, how can you live this lie for as long as you have? And this sort of really confronting stuff. And there's a lot of videos of him. He he's one of the few that will turn around and give as good as he gets and he actually punched one guy yeah. right in the face in, on a, a very famous video um, but I think also in relation to how um, competent and confident these guys were mm. had a lot to do with the fact that when you think about it what were they flying 20 years before that right? and think about all the jets and all of the uh, inventions in, in aeronautics that happened in that 20 years. Mm. So these guys are strapping themselves into things that were just dreamt up by engineers and stuff like that. They had to have rocks like coconuts. Mm. Swear to God. and Because they, they're doing Mark Mark 1, Mark 2, whatever, you know, Buzz Aldrin. And, and seeing their friends die. Yeah. Seeing several pests. Test pilots. Uh, if you ever yeah. go to Edwards, yeah. Edwards Air Force Base, big town, twenty thousand people. Every single street is named after a dead test pilot. Mm. You're right. Uh, most of the astronauts in the Apollo program, uh, they all had the experience when they'd be in a test pilot squadron. Mm. The usual thing was in a squadron of twenty, five would be dead um, mm. within eighteen months. Mm. Yep. Which is a death rate higher than combat. Mm. It's very yeah, experimental. They would do time, that wasn't it? every day. Go mm. to the office as if it's their job. Mm-hmm. Oh, I might die today. Mm. Yeah, big deal. Yes. Yeah, well, I think they captured that mentality they in did. this film, didn't they? They did. You mm. know, they they were very professional. Mm. They knew their jobs. Um, what I loved about the film personally was um, Hollywood kept its hands off it. Um, mm. It it n- the temptation might have been there to Michael Bay it. And, yeah. and America saves the world mm. mentality. The reality is, they saved themselves even because America didn't want them to save the guy. Mm. You know, they they wanted to do the safe thing, and America had to actually get China's help to mm. make it happen. And that's just a sign of the times, isn't yeah. it? Mm. When you look at Armageddon and what type of movie that was, mm. um, a science-based film like this has been tried in the past and didn't go too well, um, and so they go the safe route more than more often. Um, try to bend the science a little bit to suit the the movie world, um, but this one they pulled it off. I think they pulled it off really well. They had lots of NASA input, um, obviously, so it's mm. not really a Hollywood movie because mm. it would have been Michael Bay with fifteen explosions <laughs> and everything. And blah, da, 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 da. Yeah, um, it was. Yeah, it was a science movie, you know, and some of the big wigs at NASA, like the mm. I don't know the names, but it's like the guy in charge of the jet propulsion laboratory on the yeah. something or other you know he's given input to it and you know it's interesting you mentioned <coughs> aliens because that's the same director you know yeah, yeah. and yeah. and he hmm. he's good with science and mm. in, in his science fiction you've watched blade runner it's pretty sound you know mm-hmm. it's set in a time and it sort of makes sense and they're not making up <coughs> fairy science to make it all work mm. um tom the the story behind the story you you know you you're aware of it. Can you the 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 the, the blog the and, blog and how the story the book the book yeah. was based on what? You, you uh, Andy Weir is the writer and he wrote. He's he's a science buff and loved astronomy and uh, I, I even knew what his job was. I think he's a programmer. Yeah, he's mm. some sort of rocket engineer and he's written mm, some. Not a rocket. I think well, not an engineer. He's a, he's a programmer. I think. 
but the, he's but he's engineering no, background. Yeah. Yeah. Something um, to yeah. do with engineering. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and he wrote this story um, as a as a as a weekly or as, 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 a as weekly. an ongoing yeah. little you know chapter by chapter. It got more and more audience live, where people were sort of giving him feedback about the story. Mm-hmm. The story was was good. The story made sense. The story was scientifically accurate. Actual engineers from NASA. You know, people who knew what they were doing, physicists and so on, started giving him feedback and started giving him ideas. He sort of wrote the story thinking of one problem at a time. Jeff, you actually read the book, so you might be mm. more qualified to to um, to talk on this. But I think he he wrote it really. Sort of, let's. What's the next problem mm. that I can solve? And then he sort of worked through it and solved it. And he said that there's there's a few problems that he came up with that he couldn't solve. So if the 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 um, the power source, the the um, nuclear power source that he digs up if that had failed mm-hmm. he would have been dead yeah so one thing he couldn't do in this if he had found a solution to fixing it somehow he would have put it in the story and there's a few of those things like if the water had run out he would have died if he hadn't been able to if food ran out he would have died so there's a few things that he couldn't couldn't solve mm. and everything else that he found a solution for he said okay i'm gonna make that a problem and then show mm. in the next chapter how we how we can solve this one yeah cool. so there was almost a committee sort of uh, um side to the story when, when he was getting feedback from his audience while he was writing the blog and it was working its way into future blog entries mm. yeah he got ideas that he hadn't thought of yeah. from the audience yeah which mm. that's a sign of our times mm. um they say writing is a, is a solitary activity but to write something as good as this and actually involve your audience while you're writing it that's crowdsourced you, you thing. normally that's don't a new millennium sort of thing to do until isn't it's it? finished mm-hmm. right yeah. for him to just publish he he probably didn't ever think of writing a book he just i'm gonna write this this neat little story in fact when he did publish it and he had a huge crowd of followers and he published it on amazon for the cheapest possible price which is mm. 99 cents mm. he made it essentially available mm. for it was available for free mm. anyway <clears throat> and then when he published it on amazon he sold more copies that way for people who wanted to give him the dollar. Mm-hmm. There's more downloads from Amazon than there were downloads of the free version. Mm. Mm. You read the book, Jeff. Is, is it how, how much does it depart from the book, the film? Almost not at all. It, it mm-hmm. leaves a bit out because um, the book is it's almost exhausting. Mm-hmm. It's one detailed engineering problem after another. And I didn't know about the blog thing, but now that you describe that, you can see that in the book. Mm. And uh, it's exhausting because uh, he goes into the incredible detail. That makes it fun and interesting how he solves these problems. And each one he has to solve in an offbeat kind of way. And uh, had someone told me that was going to be made into a movie, I'd (coughs) say, no, that's never going to work as a movie. People aren't going to sit through this long Mm. uh, technological (coughs) puzzle-solving session. Hollywood would either wreck it turn it into an adventure story mm. or it would just fail so Ridley Scott is um, so they took out and they took that out of they the just film, left right? a few to problems make it, out to for, make it more but they for didn't example, have like detailed screws and he wasn't talking techno babble no, about how he's taking things apart and putting them together they, they kind of skimped over they that. did it well though like for mm. example when the um, the hatch blows off the hab yeah if you recall, mm. suddenly the hatch blows off, and that's when he loses, uh, you know, his crop. Yeah, instantly. That was um, in the book. It's because of mental fatigue, because he was using there were three hatches, and he was using the same one all the time, and it was designed for them to be used in in cycles. So he wore the hatch out basically. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so, but they just left that out of the movie, and you saw it explode, and with no explanation. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't think that was a, a negative at all. No. It didn't particularly. No. Well, out of it being a good movie at the start, the middle, and the end, 
these were some of the things that I picked up on mm. right. as being the weird things. Like, right. why did the hatch just suddenly blow up mm. one day? Mm. Yes. Because it wasn't explained. All that you saw was a little rip, boom, yep. and then yeah. it's... Yeah. Yeah. And I found that a little bit um, <clears throat> a little bit jarring. And I think from a storytelling point of view, it's a bit odd that it's it's kind of out of the hero's control. He can't mm. yeah. do anything. I think, you know, if I was doing a rewrite, it would have been cooler if he fucks it up somehow. Right. You know, he's getting careless. Yeah. You know, and he, he screws something up somehow. Like, for example, I think once he almost walks out of the hatch without his helmet on. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Start, at yeah. the very he end. does too, yeah. 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 When oh, he's leaving. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, at the end. Yeah. And he goes, don't. He goes back. Yeah. yeah. I, I thought think, that was a great scene. I thought they could have made that just a little bit more mm. explicit. No, that's him fantastic. Actually, yeah. what I, what I did, there's two things that I can think of in the film which they shouldn't have done because they went to the Hollywood thing of over-dramatizing yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. One is at the start when the sandstorm hits and the... Uh, they have that escape vehicle which sits vertical mm. and they say oh when it tilts 10 degrees we're cheesy. stuffed yeah. and then it tilts 10 degrees yeah. and it tilts 11 degrees and it tilts 12.5 degrees yeah. so that, that that was not necessary yep. and the other one was that cowboy rescue at the very end with the with the launching the yeah. similar vehicle yeah. under a top and then flying with his glove open the others are there on a on a on a MMU with a well let's uh, take the first one first I think... Shall we talk about the film? Shall we maybe start? <laughs> yeah, we could maybe talk about the film. <laughs> I said to Spoilers, you when we were watching way, it that like I'd heard that the writer wasn't happy with the arbitrary nature of the reason he's stuck on Mars. Mm. And then when I watched the film, I thought... Because I think the, the writer, what's his name? Andy Weir. Andy mm. Weir said mm. that he, he, he had to contrive a way to get him stuck alone. It's right. difficult to get, get a whole crew to leave their, their comrade behind. Yeah. 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 Right. And remember, we've got a realistic crew and we've got everybody realistic. And yeah. it's, you know, yeah. so it's a bit it's unreal. It's got to be a bit contrived. But. And so when I watched it, I was like, that seems fine. You yeah. know, the, the storm, oh, the thing, so. everybody's running and then somebody hurt and then you have to leave. That yeah. seems fine. But what I think the thing was, was... The science of it was what he was complaining about. That's right. Is there's only one percent oxygen, one uh, percent air, or whatever mm. on on Mars, and you're probably not going to get super duper storms that mm. actually are much of a rocket well, endangering. I think the thing, the thing he was unhappy about was the fact that he had to have what in his suit get punctured and these biosensors to say that he was dead yeah. when he wasn't. Yeah, yeah. true. That's so thing. that means you had to have something pierce the suit, yeah. mm-hmm. damage the sensors, wipe them out, but then seal the hole with his own blood mm. uh, <laughs> yeah. so that he had just enough air to live yeah. in the suit. That's what happened in the book and you can mm. kind of see that in the movie. But uh, yeah, it was a, was a little bit of a stretch, but mm. it is a movie, so you do have to allow a little bit of dramatic yeah. license. Wind, wind speeds on Mars have about a, a 10 times conversion rate. So if you have a 300 kilometers an hour windstorm here on Earth, that tr- on Mars would feel like a 30 kilometer breeze. Oh, really? So, yeah. Because yeah. they don't have that, that air density. It's just not dense enough. Yeah. The wind could be howling. In fact, if you could take your helmet off, mm. for me to, to talk to you through Martian air, I would have to scream at the top of my lungs hoping that you could hear me. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And what I don't know about, but can imagine, of course, because the air is thinner, mm. my voice would presumably sound extremely deep. Yeah, yeah. I think. No, it would be very faint. It <laughs> doesn't, doesn't, doesn't the density change the pitch no, as well? Because in your lungs, like if I, if I inhale helium, I, I can't does, talk about that. Yeah, it does something to your larynx. Density doesn't change, it just gets very faint. 
it's, it's does, <laughs> there's definitely something that happens in your larynx. What, absolutely. What's helium do? Helium. That's exactly yeah. what helium yeah. does. It's yeah. it helium is a different density, um, and it, but it's a lower density because it, it rises. So actually, my voice might be higher. I don't yeah. know. Maybe one of our six listeners can. It, I think it'd be higher. higher. I, yeah, maybe. My, my guess is it would be higher. Yeah. Um, one thing I found interesting about the film is that um, you almost forget that it's in, until the airlock blows and and all these plants get killed. He picks one up and it and it just crumples in his hands. It's frozen. You're remi- you're reminded instantly that it's a frozen wasteland, yeah. but it doesn't look like a frozen wasteland because it's everything's the sun war- is shining. Everything's warm colours and the sun is shining. And it's not yeah. for him explaining that he has to have the nuclear core to keep him warm in the in the vehicle. Yeah, that plant scene just reminded you instantly that. Well, that I've I've actually seen that happen when I was. Uh, at school, I won't tell you how many decades ago that was, we did an excursion to the National Standards Laboratory in Sydney and uh, we were like a 17-year-old, 16-year-old, very impressionable, and they were showing us the exciting science stuff Mm. and uh, the technician got out a jar of liquid nitrogen. Yep. You know, steaming and bubbling and, wow, I'd never seen this sort of stuff before. And he had a rubber tennis ball, (coughs) stuck Mm. that in the liquid nitrogen for about a minute, pulled it out, dropped it on the floor, broke like a light bulb. Yep. (laughs) So we were all, wow. And then before we could react, he got his finger, held it up, stuck it straight in the liquid nitrogen. There were screams, girls were fainting, (laughs) everyone's running around in circles, ripping at their arms with beer bottles, pulled his finger out and it was okay. Mm -hmm. He explained that had he left it in for 10 minutes, yes, it would have Mm. frozen solid and he could go like that, break Mm. his finger off. But he was very careful before he did it to wipe his finger Mm. completely dry. Because any moisture on the the skin would have frozen the finger. Mm. So a few seconds is okay because it takes a while for the temperature to to, um, work its way through. So the scene in the movie where the the plant is frozen (coughs) solid, that would Probably I, be what, I be what, what used would to do that. I used to throw plants <laughs> in liquid nitrogen. Well, I used to be a biologist before I was oh, a special right. effects artist. Of course. And in the laboratory, um, what we used to do... Have you ever been a grave digger? <laughs> <laughs> Some things we do not talk about no, on the okay, podcast right, because right, sorry. it's public. Uh, now, what we used to do, the, the, the gloves, the latex love gloves, right. you, you inflate them and... Uh, and uh, tie them off as a knot in the end so you have this inflated glove and you drop that in liquid nitrogen and the same effect you hold it out and you just drop this latex glove and just go shatter nice <laughs> that's why you got into cinema obviously sorry yeah. to run away here but you've obviously got two fans of liquid nitrogen that you've just got uh, fired <laughs> liquid <laughs> nitrogen fans of liquid yeah, nitrogen wow. Get, getting all sciencey and stuff so I wanted to see him go outside with his helmet off mm. because <laughs> you wanted a, a total recoil moment. Yeah, well, it didn't have to be that bad, but um, that would have brought home the danger that he was in. Mm. And I like the idea that he got complacent and he was just, yep. you know, he was like listening to distant music. He just forgot well, for human. a second. That's yeah, good. That yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Um, was because it this, was it this film where someone said that? Like without a helmet in, was it either in space or Mars? Without a helmet, you your the saliva in your mouth boils within oh, two seconds or something like that. The yeah, well, the, the, the yeah, yeah you, your blood, the, the the gas in your blood, it starts start boiling out. Mm, mm. But it doesn't mean it gets hot. No, 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 no. no, no, no. It just, it's a low pressure, but it, yeah. it 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 you don't die. You get you get bruises. You get mm. uh, um, bends. Essentially, you die from like the inside you out. Mm. Uh, but you can survive. A human body could even survive in space for. In fact, up to a minute. Astronauts do have contingencies for, yeah. um, like a suit puncture, you can live, for, as you say, up to a minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Princess Leia, like, 
should have lived. <laughs> you don't explode. No. You don't explode. No, it's just it's just one bar difference. That was right? scientifically not, sound. Mm. The, 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 the problem is the, the speed with which it happens. Mm-hmm. If yeah. we ever do a Star Trek show, we can talk about beaming and my problems with, with beaming from, you know, on a body from normal... Pressure to a different yeah. planet, which has pressure differences. They should all immediately get get the get blood the boiling if they did. Yeah, they should. Uh, but yeah, humans. Bo- There's only one bar difference between space and our pre- air pressure here, which is the same pressure difference as if you dive down in your swimming pool down to well, ten meter swimming pool. Mm-hmm. But if you dive down to ten meters in the ocean, you don't get squashed, mm. and in space, you don't explode. Mm. All right, a couple of other issues, problems with the movie because it's a good movie in the middle, in the end. So we've got to like dig a little deep to get some issues another one that i had was they didn't tell the crew that mark was alive what was alive and you can probably make up reasons in the story why they didn't do that mm. but why did the writer didn't do that uh the reason is because that's uh, an accepted thing to do uh in space um, missions because mm. the space mission well I wish they would have said that in the movie they would have opened up the manual to yeah. page 44 and said well it says here that you know if anybody dies we don't tell anyone yeah. Yeah. It's a, a little full chart yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. if dead keep secret yeah. ah right you're right like all they had to do was quote some policy or something they, yeah. they, we've had working groups come up with that but why, right? why is that's that that's the NASA way is all they needed to well, say well it's basically that a space flight and um the, uh, the Martian showed that it's really a crew of about 2,000 people, uh, four or five of which are in a tiny capsule way out in space. The rest mm-hmm. are down on the ground. So it's a team effort. And uh, this actually happened with John Glenn in the first um, orbital mission. Um, they got a, a signal that his heat shield was loose. And if his heat shield actually was loose, that's a death sentence. He would burn up. Uh, during re-entry mm-hmm. so there was quite a debate in mission control should they tell him mm-hmm. uh, that his heat shield is loose because mm-hmm. they didn't know whether it was or wasn't the instruments were saying it was so interestingly the managers did not want to tell him it makes sense uh, their grounds were well that would only affect his judgment exactly there's nothing he can do he's just got to mm-hmm. sit there and hope for the best he might make mistakes Why and tell panic. him that's right uh, whereas the astronauts to a man said you tell him mm. um, he's flying an aircraft he's a pilot he needs to know I'm yeah. with the ground crew and that mm. is the sort of fundamental difference between a pilot and the managers and that actually does come out in the movie here and there mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. you noticed when uh, they were debating this very point whether the crew whether the Hermes crew should be told so that um, and the main reason they didn't tell them was because if they did they would immediately um, want to rescue Mark yeah yeah, yeah. Um, that's it, what I thought the reason was that they weren't telling him yeah I thought that was the they main reason and that's why Mitch they can't plan if they don't have control the yeah. flight um, uh, director, the, the flight crew manager, or whatever his role was in the movie, mm-hmm. leaked the information of Bor- the orbit Bor- up me. to the crew. Borrow me. Yeah, borrow me. So. Uh, Is it Michael Bean? Yeah, or Michael Ned, Ned Stark. Ned Stark. Sean Bean. Yeah. Ned Stark. Yeah, so he leaked the information. Um, <laughs> One of the few movies where he just doesn't die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. yeah. Still alive at the end. Uh-huh. <laughs> because in the movie, Mitch knew very well that as soon as they realised the crew, that there is a way they could violate orders mm-hmm. and they would. save their con- con- their crewmen, they mm. would do that. Jeff, there was a... And I'm asking you because you read the book, and I don't know if you remember, but there was a part in the film, which is a lovely little uh, joke, in-joke, where um, they have this secret Council of Elrond thing. They're calling mm-hmm. this thing, this, this secret mission, the Elrond, and uh, 
the Kristen Wiig character doesn't know what, it, what yeah. that means. Yeah. And it's Boromir who explains to her, <laughs> oh, it's a secret meeting. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lovely little wink at, at, you know, at, at Sean Bean's character. But you can only make that joke if you have Sean Bean playing that role. <laughs> is that, you know, is it called Elrond in the book? That is very interesting. I can't remember. I can't remember that being uh, used. I'm going to go and check that out now. Because <laughs> I've got the electronic copy. I can do a search. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that's an interesting point. Uh, you would almost have to hire Sean Bean to make that Just joke Just to make work. that joke, yeah. What did we think of uh, the, the Glover character, the uh, soon-to-be Lando Calrissian um, which will probably uh, oh, the, the stay with him for steel eyed rocket man, whatever his name was, forever. Oh, um, Rich Purnell, um, oh, the the young scientist, yeah, the young, young guy. Uh, Rich Purnell, yeah. that calculated that they could use the uh, the coyote slingshot maneuver yeah. around the planet <laughs> to go in, back and in charge of another problem part I have in the film. So there's a few storytelling issues I have for the stupid I've got audience. a problem with him as well. Um, <laughs> did you want to go first? <laughs> no, 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 you go. You so go. one, as I said, is the tilting thing, which, you know, yeah. falls over at 10 degrees and doesn't. Yeah. And, and his, when he explains to all the big wigs at, at NASA how, it go, how it's going to work, all these people who are rocket scientists, and he takes out a pen <laughs> and he runs through the room and runs circles around the NASA administrator just to explain to them what an orbit is. Because yes. he explains it to the audience, yes. not yes, to yes, them. Yes. Yes. So that's another filmmaking thing that they should have assumed that the audience is a bit smart. Yes, yes. Um, I did have a problem with that. And the fact that they portrayed him as a bit of a kooky, out there, mm. flaky kind of character. Mm. The equivalent characters in NASA are anything but. Uh, yeah, yeah. They're usually pretty straight-laced engineering nerds. Yeah, yeah. Um, very cool, uh, very clever men. Uh, in fact, um, my little story on that, you remember in the movie when uh, Mitch... Um, radios up the maneuver details to the crew mm. uh, and he has to let them know that he's giving them something important without it being picked up Rich, by Rich not Mitch R uh, no Rich is the um, Mitch was um, oh, uh, Sean Bean's character yeah mm. sorry Rich and Mitch so uh, the message to the crew was um, the Rich Purnell Rich Purnell is a steely eyed rocket um, a steely eyed mi missile man oh, yeah, I should say right. mm. yep. so um that's a reference to uh, long history in NASA. No one knows where it really started from. It was the early 60s. That was the term you gave to an engineer who solved a very difficult problem under very trying circumstances and became heroic through it. You mm -hmm. were a steely-eyed missile man. Mm -hmm. And um, if I just quickly tell you the story, that the first known use was Apollo 12 when one of the flight controllers, John Aaron, he was 24 years old, the exact antithesis, antithesis of this guy. He was very straight-laced, had the thin black tie, mm. the pocket protector, um, but very cool, very brave under pressure. And when Apollo, Apollo 12 launched, 1969, the second uh, flight to the moon, they got to hit by lightning 30 seconds into the launch. All the electronics uh, got lost. Uh, all the, the, um, uh, the batteries disconnected. Uh, everyone was in a state of shock. It's really interesting to listen to this transcript. Nobody knew what was happening. Uh, flight control, 20 seconds went by when the crew were talking to ground control and nothing was coming back other than Roger. Roger, no one knew the shit what was going on. Uh, Conrad, the crew, um, uh, the commander, 
uh, he said uh, 30 years later he was still seeing all the alarms on the panel in his dreams. Uh, there's, a, there's flashing lights and normally you get one or two lights come on to say there's an alarm. The whole board was lit up and um, then another lightning bolt hit them 15 seconds after the first one yeah, right. and no one knew what was going on. Everyone was in a panic and the crew being astronauts, they're trained not to panic. So they couldn't say, what the shit is going on <laughs> down to... And John Aaron, he was the flight controller, electrical engineer, after about uh, a minute, and they only had 30 seconds to go before they had to abort, and Conrad, the, the commander, had his hand on the abort handle, 30 seconds to go, and um, John Aaron remembered that a year earlier, when they were doing one of the ground tests, uh, one of the instruments had exploded, and he saw this particular pattern... Uh, on the instruments when all the batteries went dead and this looked similar so he radioed up a command try turning SCE to AUX auxiliary yeah mm. to auxiliary and SCE stands for supplementary conditioning equipment uh-huh. uh, so he radioed that to, he said to his flight director tell them to turn SCE to AUX the flight director you can hear on the transcript uh-huh. mm, this is NASA what the fuck's that? I don't know what that is. They were shitting themselves. So he didn't know what that was. He asked his assistant flight director, and they're trained to know everything. They didn't know, so they radioed it up, didn't know, radioed it up to um, Pete Conrad. He was the commander. Wasn't it only that one person in the crew even knew yeah. where that switch Pete was? Pete Conrad didn't know what it was. Yeah. He mm-hmm. actually radioed back FCE to AUKS, mm-hmm. NCE to AUKS, no, SCE to AUKS, and the rookie on the crew... Yeah. Um, Alan Bean was sitting on the right-hand side. He had happened to have been in a simulator a year earlier and remembered something similar. So he actually said he knew where it was and flipped the switch. For years after that moment, the crew, um, who were actually friends in real life, which was unusual for astronaut crews, they would joke about the fact that here they were with every light on the instrument panel lighting up Conrad had his hand on the handle, ready to abort, which was a 50-50 proposition of death. And uh, they're raiding up this command. None of them knew what it was. <laughs> and uh, you didn't want to say, I don't know what that is. You're an astronaut. <laughs> when all of a sudden, Bean's voice comes, I think I know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, John Aaron was the first then to get the title Steely-Eyed Missile Man mm. because he'd operated under extreme pressure, come up with the right answer, And uh, it happened again on Apollo 13. Mm. John Aaron also was instrumental in saving that mission. So from then on, it became a bit of a thing Mm. in uh, NASA. If you're an astronaut or an engineer and you did something under extreme pressure and pulled off a a great coup, uh, you're a steely-eyed missile man. (laughs) So that little reference you see in the movie shows that they had a pretty deep understanding of astronaut culture, so they must have really talked, as you said, Dan, mm. quite deeply to NASA and to astronauts mm. to, to get the, you know, the character right. It's a good what, homage what did, to what did we there. think of the cast? I, I, oh, wait, I haven't finished on the, the scientist dude. Oh, yeah. yeah. With Who, the stapler. The Rich. Rich. Yeah, yeah. Rich, yeah. So, so, Purnell, uh, the steely-eyed missile man. The steely-eyed missile man. Rich Purnell, yeah. He, um, your complaint... Was he was treating the characters, Donald Glover. The, treating the audience like they were a bit stupid. To, well, he, he was treating the NASA people stupid for no. the sake of the audience. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so my complaint about it was that they had the blackboard behind him with the four million equations, mm. and he had that brainstorm that he never tells anybody because he's got to check the facts, and then he's got to go and use his thing on the supercomputer yeah. later on. He needs a protractor. And and the, in the end, he's like, I have this amazing plan. Mm. 
we'll fly around the earth and go back. Mm. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, that really that amazing? Yeah. You sure there wasn't a couple of other steely-eyed missile yeah. men in the, in the building? He said, you know what, we could just fly around and go back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I know where you're coming from. The fact that it floors people or that he there were only one human could come it up with like that. It seemed like a genius thing. But it seemed like it probably would have been on a short list of potential ideas. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, the cast. Um, he, we're talking, of course, uh, about uh, Donald Glover, who would soon to be... Lando Calrissian, very talented human. Actually, he's, he's space a, chops. He's a musician. Organized. He's a and an accomplished. Everything he does, he's, and he's accomplished. An astrophysicist too, apparently, yeah, but only apparently. with staplers. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, what did uh, my gut feeling is, and and I'll start it off here with the cast uh, because the cast is important to pull off a movie like this, mm. right? Um, I'm not sure there is a lot of actors that could have done what Matt Damon did mm. in a film like this. Um, it is. It is. A new Tom Hanks esque performance um, of you know being marooned, mm. um, or, although he really did have help for a, a lot of the film. There was you know it wasn't a huge chunk of the film where he's completely isolated, um, but as an actor portraying the science and the emotion and everything that was needed, I don't know whether is there any other actors you could think of that might have done that. No, I. I think Matt Damon, if if I were to sit someone down and convince them of his um, scope as an actor, I'd show them The Martian and True Grit. True Grit is playing a slightly effeminate uh, uh, ranger with a lisp, of all things. So it's um, a quite different performance altogether. You can roll Born Identity in there and then really roll it out. Like, he's got incredible range. He has. uh, But I guess his first film foray in the world was as... A smart ass, sciencey genius type, which was, um, you know, the first film he ever acted in, wrote and directed, and won an Academy Award for. So Is that Goodwill Hunting. Goodwill Hunting. Mm. Um, so he does the boffin well, mm. but I think in this film he he, he had a maturity about him. Um, I don't know. I just I, when I when I was watching the film, I'm thinking I don't know whether there's many actors that could do this. No. To, they could pull off this role and carry the film. Mm. He had to come across as an astronaut, i.e., you know, a, a, a fairly brave, courageous kind of person, mm. but still show the emotional impact of being marooned, be Robinson Crusoe, mm. be terrified, be brave, all of that. Mm. Um, Mixed pretty, in a bit of comedy here and there, which yeah. I thought worked well. The, yeah, the yeah. constant reference to disco music and stuff was good. And yeah. the reference to eating in uh, human shit. Yes. Um, yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, I, you know, I was. I think he's a big reason why it was a successful film. Mm. To, yeah, I agree. To look at. Um, the other big players, I guess, Jeff Daniels' character, the the guy that was in charge yeah. of NASA, um, he's a brilliant actor. Um, I did like his line, that slightly comedy line, when the the crazy stapler scientist dude comes in and he's like, <laughs> "Yes, I'm the head of NASA." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who are you again? Yes, I'm the head of NASA. Yeah. Your boss. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a good moment. Yeah. And and Chris the one on television all the time. <laughs> Kristen Wiig, right? Who's yeah. one of the funniest women on the planet when when it comes to film, right? Yeah, she's she absolutely brilliant. She, I think she can hold her own in a dramatic role. Uh, she seemed a little comi- forced to me, to yeah, be honest with you. Yeah. You're used to seeing comedy from her, and yeah. she was a bit No, I'm, out of out of all of the steely-eyed missile men who yeah. were all Straight, yeah, played straight. Yeah, she was the you should have to, to say she was the quirkiest. Well, of she them was all. a PR person, she was a she was a promotions person. Mm. Still, it 
it stuck out a little bit yeah. on the extreme. The, she well, was the outlier. We're all familiar. We're, we're familiar with the, the phenomenon that some of the best actors come from comedy, right? Where, mm. where when they do drama, like some of the most profound performances uh, from Robin Williams was. Um, yes, he was good in Good Morning Vietnam and those mm. sorts of things where he was his quirky mork from orc, you know. Mm. But it was the drama stuff when he was playing serial killers and, you know, stuff mm. like that. It was really good at very disturbing stuff. And he even looked like, look at Eric Banner when he did Chopper. Oh, that was and Eric yeah, Banner came from things. television in, in Australia, you know, mm. the, the fast forward series mm. and, and doing voices and, and yeah, mimicking I loved it so politicians. Much. Just and his stuff performance, like I bought the movie. Yeah, yeah. Just because of his Same performance. Here. Same here. So, yeah. com- comedy actors, male comedy actors, tend to, good ones, tend to make pretty good dramatic actors. Mm. Um, even. Yeah. Uh, so one of the creepiest roles uh, in cinema history has to be Jim Carrey's role as the cable guy mm-hmm. that's being stalked by Jim Carrey, you know. And um, um, so, that, but does the same thing translate for women? Have we seen many women do the same thing where they do they renowned for comedy, but yet they do drama roles well? Mm. Do we see the same thing? Is there anything that stands out? There's I'm, nothing that stands out that no. I can think of at the moment. No, and is that the industry that doesn't give that? person a chance or something i don't know mm. or is the same translation not made not sure i don't know mm. but the cast i thought the cast was powerful comedy did you know that this film won the golden globe in the category of best comedy and musical what? best comedy or yeah, musical that because of something with the eh? yeah <laughs> yes what because of that david bowie no in there's it. something with the actual categories they were the golden f- Globes. there was so what, many the stupid categories <laughs> Yeah, no, there were so many good films, uh, good dramas that yeah. year that they were afraid of the competition. That's so true. they entered it into the oh. comedy slash musical yeah. category yeah. and got away with it. Right, that's great. And, and not only won did it. they get away, <laughs> and then they won it. And and Matt Damon got the golden <coughs> got the Golden Globe for best actor in a comedy, in a comedy slash, slash musical. musical. Well, you yeah. had him uh, bopping away to hot stuff. In the, in <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, yeah, so there was a joke in there too, and uh, mm. that that might and have there was justified music. the 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 uh, they did change the rules for Globe, Golden Globe um, nominations immediately after. Oh, so right. you cannot you can right. no longer do that. Yeah. Ah, so they twisted the rules. So if it's comedic drama, it has to be ended. Into drama, and this is not even a comedic drama. Yeah, no, it's ridiculous. All right, I got two more story points for you, and this might need the analysis of the book reading Jeff. Story point number one um, is: What's the little spaceship that he has to find that he goes and digs out of the sand because he needs it because it's got a radio on it? Uh, so that was the Pathfinder. 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 What was he hoping to achieve with Pathfinder? To communicate. Because I'll tell you what happens in the movie. Yep. Um, our hero, Mark, finds a thing that can communicate with Earth and our other heroes on Earth are watching him do that and they find the other end of the receiver and they pick it up at the same time and say hello. Mm -hmm. But what was going through Watney's mind, because he doesn't know or can't expect that they're going to suddenly be on the other end of the receiver. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. But the so Jeff, answer that question. They still would have. Well, I can <laughs> no. tell you, they still would have spoken to each other. The, the, the quirky thing is that they spoke to each other at the same time, only because Earth saw him driving in a direction and then got ahead of what but he remember, was up to. Remember, if that didn't happen, but if he had dragged it back, they they were looking at him. He knew they were looking at. him. He knows there's satellites. No, 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 no. He didn't no, no. know. Yes, he, he does. No, he didn't know they were looking at him. No, he didn't know they were looking at it, but, but he, he knows assumed that they there were are probes him. around that Mars is being photographed. Yeah, yeah. And if 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 they, 
you know, he probably assumed that they might no, 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 see no, no, that no, he's no, alive. No, no, not buying it. Not buying <laughs> it. Not buying it. Because if he knew that, he assumed, he, you know, he we, you know, when, when he got the, the little cord on the thing with his little feet and he mm. did the circle, yeah. he would have written across Mars, help me, yeah, yeah, in gigantic yeah. friggin', yeah. Uh, you know, satellite seeing letters yeah. with the rover. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. That was one thing that was missing. That, that because if he, he had have just have called thought, up, yeah, that's right. It would have just been that in that shed. Yeah, there would have been that. You know, the other pathfinder under the tarpaulin would have yeah. been like, bleep, 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 yeah. and it well, like, wouldn't have been powered on. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's they right. actually are those those things. Pathfinder and Sojourner, they have missions that are years long. Mm. Yeah, but the, um, the spare one in the shed wouldn't have been the, powered on. Uh, yeah, I'm talking about yeah. the one in the shed that he was trying to. That would have that would have been on Earth. No, that would be yeah. on because they they run those missions for years, uh, even after they. The one under the but, tarp, but in the movie, yeah. it wasn't on. I know they shouldn't have it shown was the it. the backup wasn't sitting it? in. No, uh, that was the actual um, you know, the simulation unit that oh, they okay. used. Yep, yep, yep. Um, so uh, yep. it was a bit of a stretch, but it's plausible. But and they had. Would to we have complained if he had have put help me on the on the ground? <laughs> no, I think that would have actually improved the story. Like it would have made sense, but would we have said, "Well, that's a bit obvious." No, no, no! I thought I would have said that's a genius move, <laughs> and I would have liked it more if he said, in his journal, yeah. you know, there's satellites flying up above, mm. and they're taking shots. There's a chance that they will be looking at the site trying to find my body. Yeah. My next other part of the the, the problem that I I also had was, remember that there is also, and this is related to exactly what we're talking about. Remember that there was the um, the geeky girl, mm. the geeky scientist chick. Yep. She is remarkable because she's the second person to find Watney on Mars. So you remember, she's at work one day with a coffee and she walks in and somebody calls her on the phone and says, and she says, oh, what? I'll have a look. And she looks on the thing and they're like, oh, there's Mark Watney. Huzzah. I'm the second person to find him. Yeah, yeah. So this was odd in the story. Why wasn't she the first person to find him? She could have been. Why didn't she like be like, I'm just going to check the satellites. I've yeah. got a brainy idea. Hang on a minute. Look what I'm finding here. Yeah. And then she would have been the hero. But strangely, somebody who we don't even know, who we never even heard mm, of. Yeah. And I, wonder, I wonder, was that in the book or something? Was was there some uh, amateur astronomer or somebody? Or were they trying to be overly technical and say, well, technically, she wouldn't have the access to yes. the satellite. Yeah. So it would have been from the other department that yeah. they would have had to call Some on university morning. somewhere was looking through the data and they yeah, saw yeah. a discrepancy. Yeah, yeah. But then they've got the other the other scientist dude with the staplers lying around, mm. sleeping on his couch, not doing anything at that time. Yeah, <laughs> got pulled him out, and he's like, "Hang on a minute, I've got a genius idea." Listen, when it comes to the Hollywood science for this film, the the pivotal moment for me mm. was when it was critical for an astronaut to go into a section of the uh, um, what's the name of the the big travelling oh the docking thing Hermes. He had to go into one of the modules, mm. open the door in mm. his spacesuit, mm. and guide and in. <laughs> yeah, guide in the pot. <laughs> Left the, a bit. That the Chinese rocket was dropping. Right off. a bit. Yeah, yeah. And and meanwhile, the whole time, the guy with the thing really, you know, he doesn't have a screen of the guy going like this. Yeah. Or anything. It's like, what are you doing? There? It's, it's not like he has to hook onto it or anything yeah, like that. Yeah. 
yeah. he did nothing. Yeah. It was such a Hollywood moment. Like that it's was literally back in a truck down an alley. That was a mm. little bit weird. Yeah, that was a bit over the top. <laughs> Unrequired. I mean, even though you might not have noticed, the other thing that was just not realistic was that same astronaut outside the Hermes. Yeah, with uh, no tether. With no tether, no yeah, maneuvering. I thought that was insane. Bouncing over the never, surface. Yeah. So you only needed to that, go like that the, to, in the wrong place and you're gone. Whoa, 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 uh, that whoa, whoa. would, that yeah. would never happen. Yeah. And I, I presume they put that in uh, just to wreak a little bit of mm. drama yeah. because his girlfriend then was um, tense and worried whether he'd actually make it. So you need a little bit of... Yeah. But then if they put it in because of the so. drama... They didn't get any payoff from the drama. They yeah. didn't have a moment no. where he was like, oh, oof, yes, oh, that's right. Oh, oh, you know? That's right. They it was just, just let him do, 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 do. Yeah, yeah. And well, if it was a- true to true to science and true to NASA, there would have been someone in a suit with a one of these, yeah. to, just in case, or a tether. Yeah. you know, a yeah. backup for a backup. Yeah. Okay, and I've got one last complaint with the movie. When he took his truck, and he had to go across the desert, mm-hmm. in his space truck. Yeah. He put a bubble on the roof. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I don't know why he put a bubble on the roof. Yeah. In, oxygen, in the book, there is a major, major chunk, which is all about how he can get all his life support systems into a thing the size of a Volkswagen to okay. save a vo- to uh, make a voyage of 3,000 kilometres. Right. Uh, so, yeah, they just glossed all that over, and I think they had to. That would have been just too much. So the bubble, I can't remember the exact detail. That was to give him more uh, I think it was oxygen. oxygen. I don't think they yeah. even addressed it. it no. Yeah. They said in the movie, they're, he, in his journal, is something like, they're making me drill holes in my roof yeah. or something or other. Anyway, off I go. He probably didn't know why he had a bubble up there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, they, <laughs> they had, had a s- typo. It meant to be a, you know. <laughs> they had a sequence there where, if you recall, they, were, they did a lot of quick... Um, segues between him doing it and the guys on the ground doing it. Doing so, the practice version. Yeah, so yeah. you therefore assume, okay, they were working out to help him mm. how to do this and mm. radioing up, do this and do that. And it's like uh, in Apollo 13, if you remember, when mm. they had to make the um, the filter yeah, unit. Yeah. Remember yeah. the scene yeah, when they had to go to the room with all this and, and do that and make this out of that. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, the thing that... Uh, uh, and that was a very accurate movie, very close to the real thing because um, the NASA flight controllers were, were involved. But interestingly, uh, what went on behind the scenes there, that uh, actual incident, which seemed quite Hollywood, there they are on the room, they're given all the mm. stuff and they have to make this saving piece of equipment. Mm. Uh, that actually did happen, but yeah. it happened two years earlier. Oh, really? Oh, right. And that's the fascinating thing, that in real life, they actually practiced that. <laughs> what would happen mm. if this, this and this happened? We'd have to make an actual filter, yep. uh, uh, you know, a junction unit, out of what's on the spacecraft. Mm-hmm. All right, let's try and do it. And they wrote that down. Yeah. You can imagine. So then when it finally happened, they were able to say, oh, hang on, there's a procedure <laughs> for that procedure somewhere. For I reckon that's actually awesome. more amazing, but yeah. it yeah. wouldn't really fit in a movie. So I imagine that is like one of those ice-breaking e- episodes when you've got a bunch <laughs> of techies in the room who've never met each other yes. before, and they're like, hello, everyone. Yes. All yeah. right, we're going to do a little exercise. Let's imagine we only have spaghetti, and we only have two rolls of masking tape, and we have to glue two spaceships together. And we have to okay, make the Taj Mahal. Everybody form groups. <laughs> I think you bang on the money, too. Um, And they should shove that information down the throat of these uh, conspiracy theorists and stuff like... Yeah, that's how deep the conspiracy went. We we even got... We've got documentation of nerds doing that sort of stuff just in case. Just to shut conspiracy people up. Um, All right, people. Let's let's talk some numbers. This thing cost... What what do you think the budget was? 
Um, no idea. I will choose three hundred million dollars. It was hundred eight million. Um, what does the, that include? Marketing as well? Uh, no, no, no. It was production budget. Okay, just production. Um, hmm. The the uh, running time two hours twenty one minutes. The domestic total gross two hundred and twenty eight million. Okay. And to put that into context, if we look at the Martian versus Gravity versus Interstellar, mm. um, the Martian made two twenty-eight million domestic. A Gravity made two seventy-four domestic million, and Interstellar only one hundred and eighty-eight million. Mm. And um, the budgets are identical between Gravity and The Martian, but add a hundred, add 65 million to the budget for Interstellar. Okay. And it did the lowest out of the earnings. Interesting. So mm. uh, it missed by a little bit. Um, but it's interesting, all of those movies were all in the same sort of ballpark. They didn't like, mm. re, you know, bring in a billion dollars or something or other. Mm-hmm. You've got to have Michael Bay blow everything up to get a billion dollars. Yeah, yeah. 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 The second weekend drop, um, only 22%, negative 22% for gravity. So it had some legs, it had some word of mouth legs. It's got more explosions. Um, 31% 31 for this one, Mm -hmm. but in a massive 40% drop off for Interstellar. Mm-hmm. So um, for the genre, because they're, I mean, they're all very, very close, you know, science based, outer space, Mm. NASA-esque type films, fiction, Mm -hmm. uh, works of fiction. Um, albeit Interstellar sort of went the way of um, contact you know with Mm -hmm. a higher plane of existence Mm. and all that shit whereas Gravity and the Martian were really yeah 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 (laughs) Um, Gravity and the Martian really stayed in the science didn't it 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 was really a a sort of they were both NASA movies Mm, that's a good way to describe them Uh, I think I heard somebody else say they're like future documentaries yeah, yeah, and no, I I would agree with that. Um, so yeah, worldwide, six hundred and thirty million for this film. That's right. Um, bringing the total um, to where's that figure? Oh well, six thirty plus two twenty eight. So we're up around nine hundred million, nearly a billion for this. Oh, one. there you go. So it's 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 a very little known, very successful film. Mm, because, quietly successful. You know, there's a lot of people that don't really know what this thing's all about mm-hmm. and, and never took the time to go and see it. So mm-hmm. I think the marketing on this film dropped the ball. Yeah. It Whether was, it's um, hard to market yeah. a film like this or, or yeah. not, I don't know. But I'm surprised. The only reason I really noticed it was because I'd read the book. Mm. Um, it didn't seem to make much impact on Turn me, up the marketing. The radar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. All right, so we have our rating system. Are we, are we at that point yet? Well, nothing else to talk about. In the I don't film. know. Well, let's quickly talk about <laughs> let's talk about the visual effects quickly. Um, oh yeah, we haven't actually talked about them at all. Hey, let, uh, let's talk about it because um, I think uh, I was very impressed. I was super impressed with the world that they built, and a lot of that was visual effects. Mm. Um, but I also was really impressed with the the rocketry mm. um, when that thing launched with the tarp strapped to the top of it. <laughs> yeah, uh, there was something about the smoke bellowing out of the bottom of that thing that. That may, and I guess it was that uh, stuck in a void way of watching the film as well. It was an Im- impressive moment. And, and mm. we would assume that all the wide shots of Mars, those panoramic shots, would mm. have been all digital as well. They would have been, yeah. 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 And they used GoPros where required. Uh, yes. <laughs> that looks like a 3D render. Um, I think it is. I think it is. You've got to remember that I normally come up with these images about 
40 minutes before the so you show. So don't reckon it's a frame from the shot? Well, the I, show. Put, I put in The Martian okay. um, and then tell it to be high-quality image, like okay. slightly high res. Sometimes they sneak through, like that one there might have been a fan thing. Um, yeah. Sometimes Looks they it. sneak through <laughs> my filter, okay. Uh, especially when I'm air managing, because that one—that was the only one that stuck out. It's looking a bit, uh, <laughs> yeah, a bit in the film. You mean? Well, no, in, in just oh, in, in the this. images. I was just yes, looking yes, at this yes. one. When that one comes up again, it looks very dry, yeah. very three D rendery. The anyway. um, I thought that all of the rocket launches, the the Chinese rocket launching as well, um, it looked remarkably it looked similar to Elon. Launch from two days ago. That was pretty impressive. I love they they uh, interviewed him before that launch, and he said, "I ah, give it fifty <laughs> <laughs> fifty Yeah. The other thing said, "You pretty you'll rich. either see a great launch or some impressive fireworks." Yeah, yeah. You got a lot of money when you you, you just have con- utter contempt for your investors, yes. you know, and your the shareholders when you can say, "Ah, it, it'll probably work." We're doing rocket gambling tonight. <laughs> yeah. Fourteen billion dollar <laughs> rocket, um, and uh, so. See, is that a 3D render? Or I, am I think am that I might be a 3D render. See, that looks a bit cheesy. Yeah, it does. All right. So I, I had some... One, one, one problem I have with the visual effects, which mm-hmm. I find a shame, mm-hmm. it would have been great to show that how, how Martian gravity is only 40... Percent, thirty nine percent of Earth's. I think you're so right. So yeah, I know. Through the that. entire film, that if he had been in his habitat and you yeah. know, eating his potatoes, but you know everything drops a bit slower, or yeah. he's sort of very light, it would have been extremely difficult to achieve. And I, I or even if he had to reach something from a top shelf and he just to see, so it just one, jumps a little bit higher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is one scene when he's outside and it is in one third gravity. Yes, mm. and if you recall, uh, he's throwing stuff around yes. and it's just floating. And, they, and it looks like it's slow motion. And, and that uh, works. And that's but how they, they didn't, did. Didn't do it anywhere else. That's so. how they did it. They mm. filmed it in slow motion. Yeah. Um, there was a problem with the frame rate sinking, so they had to film everything at forty-eight frames a second and then slow it down mm. um, to get that lighter. Which there made it difficult for them to talk because they had to be talking in real time, but mm. knowing that they're being filmed with a high-speed camera. Mm. So a lot of the uh, narrative director, uh, Ridley Scott, decided we're just going to put narrative over it and Mark is going to, instead of talking to them, he's going to be doing voiceover for a lot of these things. Mm. But they didn't, pu- yeah, yeah, just for a few shots outside. Well, inside of the habitat, he's just walking around like normal. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and I, I thought the weightless sections, uh, you know, in the Hermes were just not quite right. Yeah, same here. They seem the to change direction pretty yeah, uh, easily. Yeah, yeah, they actually a little too fast. They, went, they then, went like that. They just turned direction. They, they were like on a wire. <laughs> yeah. But I, I like that idea. I love the fact that there is the center of the spaceship, there's yeah. no gravity, yeah. and then they, they go on this ladder and they start yeah. speeding up, and then there is well, that's, gravity. that's plausible. That kind of made sense to me. I yeah, that's the 2001 Space Odyssey. And they even had a, like a little dining area with separate tables, even though there was only a couple on the, on the thing. And, and the, you could see the curve of it. They, mm. They'd yeah. have to build a table and chair here and a table yeah. chair there and a table and chair there. Andy Weir <laughs> himself did the maths after seeing seeing the film or seeing the trailer and he mm. saw the, the, what's it called, the, um, the spaceship, the Hermes, yeah. at turning and he, he measured... The size, the size of the astronaut and against the window, and you measure uh, what the diameter of the ring is, <laughs> yeah. and then did the calculations of that the actual gravity in there at the rate at which it is moving would only be 0.2 g. Oh, yeah, really? you have to yeah. like a circus ride. Should have, yeah. should have been rotating much faster. There's only, yeah. there's only still uh, one way to do weightlessness uh, in movies. Um, CG is just still not good enough. It mm. doesn't look quite right. And way back with Apollo 13, when was that made? They did it. The only way you can really oh, the do vomit it. Comet. make the uh, crew yeah. 
weightless. Yeah. Yeah. So they took Tom Hanks, and uh, and that's pretty remarkable. They set up a complete uh, Apollo capsule in an aircraft that's on the crazy. Comet um, and filmed it. And Hanks said later he was just throwing up six yeah, meals so a vomit in every day for Apollo about five weeks. <laughs> yeah, because they throw up horrible. in the film. Yep. Yeah. And uh, and some of that is is yeah actual <laughs> vomit. <laughs> It received yeah. uh, seven Academy Award nominations. Wow. Best okay. Picture, Best Actor, uh, Adapted Screenplay, Art Direction, Visual Effects, Sound, and Sound Editing for a grand total of zero wins. Mm. <laughs> Jesus, <that laughs> it didn't win sad. anything. He was it nominated for an Oscar. It should have won something. <clears throat> should have. Yeah. He was nominated for an Oscar. Mm. And right. the only one that year who was nominated in, as an Oscar, Best Actor, who played a fictional character. Oh, really? All the other people who were nominated were doing dramatic roles yeah, and, yeah. and and, and um, biographies. But, you know, it's so who very won believable. Year, so I don't remember. Yeah, no, I'm not sure who won that year. Sorry? I'm not sure who won no, that right. year. But yeah, it's got a lot name. of nominations for, for very little reward. Um, Paul Ridley Scott, he's having a bit of a rough run. He's making very good films. Even the ones he's producing are very good films. But they're just not making the money for hmm. some reason. They're, I don't know, but I mean, this one nearly made off a hundred million dollar investment. You you, you earn nine hundred million. That's you got to be Can't happy with that. Yeah. No, that's because he's not Michael Bay, and it's not a bad thing. And he's making expensive yeah. movies. With yeah, fantastic special effects. All right, so yeah, it is right. that time. Is it that time now, Tom? <laughs> yeah, I'll give you the green light. <laughs> um, our rating system is uh, by. It, it, you have to at least choose. You have to choose a word that starts with B. Buy, borrow, burn, boot, <laughs> binge. <laughs> yeah, binge. For me, it's buy. It's in my it's in my library. I bought it. Easy for you to say that it's buy Lodge, if you bought it. I bought one. it without seeing it, but if I had have seen it without buying it, I would have bought it. I haven't bought it. Can I still say buy? Yes. Okay, good. You're putting me on the spot. Mm. Um, I'm, I can't think of a B word in English. Can I use Latin? Sure. <laughs> As long as you tell me what the what it means. And by Zimimus, uh, meaning that I would definitely buy it twice. Okay. Ah, so I'll buy it twice. Yeah. So you can see it in stereo. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So you can see it in 3D, man. Those, those Latins knew their d- deep Blu-rays. Oh, speaking of Latin, Mark Watney, Mark, is Marcus. Mm-hmm. And there's two theories of what that name means. Either it's Etruscan for to harvest, oh. or it's Latin, meaning from Mars. I like that. Ah. I like that stuff. Mm. That little Easter egg stuff that, that <laughs> like no one will ever know. I really do like that yeah. stuff. I thought his name was going to be Etruscan for farmer or... You he's, know, he's a bloody <laughs> Latin for well, potato. He's a bloody yeah, yeah. glorified gardener, <laughs> well, isn't he? He's a bot- well, Latin for he's shit just farmer. There. Yeah. yeah, Latin <laughs> Greek shit eater. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Dan? Um, yeah, it's bye. You'd buy it. Bye, bye, bye. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's the sort of thing you could easily watch that after a couple of years of not seeing it. Yeah, and be, absolutely. And be Especially in 3D with headphones. Absolutely. And you'd probably and that, see things you missed. And that's a hint. And you'd be entertained over again. <laughs> yeah. Very subtle hint. Yeah. <laughs> subtle like a church bell rolling down the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's and it for us uh, for another show. Gentlemen, unless there's anything other exciting, uh, any, any news uh, in relation to this film, I think we've covered it. Uh, we have to explain the the change of the genre a little bit when we do a serious film like this which has uh, got some cred mm-hmm. um, and kicks some goals so to speak um, we sort of can't do the normal narrative treatment that we normally do and 
pick the shit out of it um, <laughs> because there's not a lot to pick. No. Uh, we really had to struggle. Uh, yeah, we had to nitpick, really, yeah. Yeah. didn't we? Yeah, we, had that, we had nitpicking wound up to 11 on this <laughs> yeah, particular yeah. film. And now and then we will do a serious film like this because it's worthy of, of, um, of that sort of treatment. Uh, but rest assured, the nitpicking will be wound back up to 11 very soon. I mean, after all, we do have to do the new Star Wars film. Um, do we know? <laughs> And it's worthy of some of those 1950s science fiction. Yeah, let's do it back to back. <laughs> Zombies ate my wife and the last Jedi. <laughs> and we'll have to do that soon. But um, the other the other thing Double also feature. is uh, Dan's in the middle of uh, doing some social media networking type stuff where we're going to Twitch and we're actually going to Twitch as we speak and to. Um, uh, YouTube, YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also going to get on board a bunch of other social media so over the next couple of weeks we're, we're hoping to spread our uh, social media wings yes which is better than the seed which is probably not the <laughs> statement I wanted to say um, also we're jury rigging air conditioners so there might be a bit of noise in the background which is fitting for this particular film yeah. um, and so that's that's why you, there's a bit of a difference for 2018, but we'll be back in our format pretty soon after mm-hmm. we work the kinks out. Thanks for joining us, Jeff, for the Thank first uh, first time uh, for you. Did you enjoy the experience? Uh, it's been quite terrifying and traumatic, <laughs> and I'll probably have nightmares for weeks. The but, bruises uh, will go away. But, but I've enjoyed it. The alcohol helps. <laughs> so. tell you you got to uh, uh, grease the wheels, so to speak. <laughs> okay, gentlemen, uh, that's it for us for another week uh, for um, Voyage of the Geek. Until next time, bye for now. Auf Wiedersehen. See ya.